Testing, testing, testing. Hip hop, 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 hip hop. It's your birthday. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, 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 uh. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. It's your 50th birthday. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to ya. Hip hop. You 50! You're 50 years old. I'm going to just tell you. I'm going to just tell you. I'm not 50 yet. But. To have. An entire. Creation. That. <clears throat> was. Or became. But it was a part of a very special group of people. It was the black community, the housing community, in. This is Chuck Schumer talking about how. Oh. National Hip Hop Day, y'all! August 11th is the first, 2023 is the first day of National Hip Hop Day. Finally. It just took 50 years, which is. This is DJ Cool Herc, the godfather of hip hop. <coughs> Um, you can find this whole eight hours. I'm watching all eight hours, by the way, of um, hip hop at Yankee Stadium celebration. <clears throat> There's celebration all over, especially this weekend. But this is the big celebration because hip hop was, if you don't know, now you know, uh, hip hop was. started by cool Herc and there are theories saying that he didn't he's not the godfather but I don't give a shit because <clears throat> you have to start somewhere and historically cool Herc had a party and I didn't know this until the segment that I saw um, but you could Watch this on, I found this on YouTube. Just put hip-hop 50th Yankee Stadium. I I just put Yankee, actually. And I got this. Um, Now the governor's coming in. But 
for those of you who don't are not that interested in hip hop and you know because I have a lot of <laughs> I don't have a lot I mean I don't have a lot of followers or a lot of listeners in general but ever since I started this podcast you know I have a lot of different variety of like my friends and people that I worked with that um, occasionally listen to this so for those of you that you know, do not know about hip-hop because you are not interested in hip-hop or, um, I'm just gonna say it, black people. Um, (laughs) I have, I have, like, friends and, like, dance moms and that are, that are actually, like, MAGA conservative Republican, you know, voters. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, they think, they think that they're not affected or touched or, you know, by hip hop, but they're absolutely a hundred percent. They are, I mean, because their kid has been in my class, <laughs> I'm just going to say, <laughs> um, while I'm not hip hop, but hip hop is a huge influence <clears throat> in all of my art, especially my dance, especially my dance. Um, but the rise of hip hop, the history of hip hop is, is amazing to me because in my generation, when I was, you know, aware, listened to hip-hop music, saw hip-hop dance. You know, I was in my preteens, and it, it, it was just something that I love. You know, when you, you know, when you listen to a song, you're just like, I love this song. <laughs> you're just, it was, it was pretty simple. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. It wasn't like, you know, at that time, you know, when the 80s, and 90s, especially the 90s. By the time the 90s hit, um, I was in the clubs already in New York City. I was already dancing to it. I was very, I was, I want to say that I was very familiar with it, but I was, I was familiar with the sound already. So it wasn't like I went into, you know, a nightclub in New York City, like Palladium or, or Limelight, and all of a sudden I'm just like, oh my God, I, I listened to hip hop music. It was on the radio before, um, I even got to the clubs. So as, you know, a dancer and a singer since I was, you know, like two or three, um, anything that's on the radio, the radio was such a big part of my life. The radio was a huge part of my life. And the radio is, I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now, the radio is the reason why I, my sounds, my movements you know, as a choreographer, as a dancer, <clears throat> is so eclectic. Because I started out in Chinese dance. Okay, Chinese traditional folk dance, okay? And and then I went on to um, modern, okay? And the only reason why I went to modern is because my dad's, really good friend was the first 
Chinese Asian dancer at the Martha Graham company under Martha Graham. Like he was, Martha Graham was too old to, you know, teach classes at that time, but he was, he was advised, he was chosen by Martha Graham herself. And his name is Henry Yu. And whenever I would, when he, when he would, when he was in, in New York City, he knew me growing up when my dad came back home. And when I went to, um, Taiwan, um, when I was of the age where I had the skill set to finally go into his studio and he wasn't really teaching, he was still choreographing, but he wasn't really teaching. His students took over just like Martha Graham, very similar to Martha Graham. And he was teaching dance. And so, and so my next genre of dance was modern. And my third genre of dance where I'm actually taking classes was with Levi Claiborne. And I was in the clubs already at that time. So I knew the, 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 the sounds, the movement, the club part. Um, but technically, like, to really, you know, get kind of like a, the commercialized um, hip-hop, if you, if you want to call it, you know. Because I was kind of, I was already kind of battling um, before I met Levi. And... Uh, you know, because I was in the clubs at 13. So that was like 1990. I didn't take my first hip-hop dance class with Levi until um, I was like 15. So 1992, you know. But I was, I was already in the clubs like at, you know, 12, 13. Um, mainly like... Asian American gangster club vibe, which they were all doing new wave music. But because my um, later on turned godbrother, uh, Dennis, um, started with his, with the guys, uh, a small group, Asian American, like party promotion group called Still Life. It was very short lived, but. I think we were, they were one of the first, and I kind of want to say we, because I actually did go with him to a good amount of the meetings, like, you know, um, to the clubs before they had it, you know, so it was like me and Wayne, (laughs) sometimes James Moy, sometimes all four of us and Dennis, and Dennis was the real negotiator of the clubs and you know and that's the only reason why I knew some of the clubs they would do like open bar or whatever what you know like how they would tally up you know how much the club gets versus you know whatever how much we get but I I'm pretty much sure like still life the guys didn't you know Dennis and the guys really didn't get that much but they created an atmosphere where, you know, an underage little Asian girl from Queens, privileged Chinese Queens girl from Queens, was able to go to these clubs because I was, I was coming in. You know, I, I, I didn't drink, 
but um i i was there to dance and and it was very easy for, for people to let me in because i was literally there to dance and that's i think that's what's so special honestly about my my entire childhood is that i was sober <laughs> like i was sober i was i was drunk like out of my mind the first time i drank and it was with the guys and it was a huge like show because i was dating a tio and everybody in there was like from every fucking gang except for tio and my semi-god brother and the only reason why i call a semi-god brother norman um and i'm writing i'm currently right now writing his short story pay a norman chan um i loved him very much and he 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 was the right hand man of the the guy that i the kid we were all kids back then that i was dating so the guy that I was dating was General. And um, and I didn't know this until way later on when I spoke to another gang member. Um, and they were supposed to align. He was, he was a leader of the Green Dragons. And um, Noah. And, uh, and he came out, you know, um, and... And we reconnected, and he was, you know, telling me the backstory. And and that and that at that time, I was I was starting this podcast. Um, when we reconnected, when I reconnected with Noah, and and so, um, I started talking about like all the things that I'm doing now. And you know, this when I, when I created this podcast in 2000 and. 17 like nobody wanted to talk about our stories i mean they still don't now but nobody really wanted to talk about our stories and you know the asian american community they're so ashamed because we're brought up this way we're so ashamed of the bad things that we do and bad is like very subjective by the way and so Everybody in the Asian American community, now they're slowly coming out, and I'm so happy for them. There's a group that was kind of spearheaded by this kid um, named Joe from Staten Island, and his family was in the Italian mob, and you know he's he you know he's like a millennial, and he's you know he's a younger millennial, and. Um, and he created this page because he actually had really high respect because of his um, his uncles and his father, you know, in Staten Island being a part of the mob, that he would hear stories and he would actually go to the Chinese restaurant. They would be really, they were just, you know, it was, the, it, what people really don't understand is that the Asian American gangster community back in the days really got along with so many groups um italian the italian mob the the you know the black community um the, those are the two those are the two major communities and latino community um is because they you know 
in the streets, you get credibility by fighting back. Like, you always have bullies. I mean, even systematically, you always have institutionalized, you always have your bullies. Mine was my family. Except for my yeah, yeah, daddy, wai gong wai po. Yeah, yeah is my grandfather on my father's side, daddy's daddy. Um, wai gong is my grandfather on my mother's side, and wai po is my grandmother on my mom's side. Now, except for those four people in my family, a little bit of my nai nai, which is my grandmother on my dad's side, a little bit of her, but she, but she, the only reason why she was with, she was okay with me, okay with me. Um, she didn't fight, you know, back the bullying that she was seeing, but, you know, with her own daughters and, you know, you know, married in uncles, but she had to like really like me <laughs> and I know she didn't but she really had to like me because I was Ye Ye's favorite I was her husband's favorite I was my grandfather on my father's side's favorite and my father is my nanai grandmother on my father's side's favorite so she she had a really <laughs> a tough decision but you know she she was she was really she was really like kind of a bitch <laughs> my nai nai um and i think it fostered the jealousy i'm just, i'm going to say it, the jealousy that was coming from and is very relevant right now to my story from her daughters her three daughters and her younger son because my father gave er, was given everything um, because he's the oldest and he is the male, the man of the family. Um, and he's extremely talented. So they gave him so much like love and money and support to do what he loves to do. And he shined like his name. His name is Ku Ping Xing, Gu Ping Xing, which is take care of the brilliant star. And he became a star. And I, I, I know throughout the years there was a lot of animosity. It, you know, they, you know, my, my family's very high class and boozy and shit. But you, like, I could smell it, you know, because I grew up around it. You know, I grew up around that, and I grew up around people being really jealous of me, because, and 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 it's egotistical to say, but I'm just gonna say it because it's all proof right now what's happening to my father and I. But. I was, I was, I was very talented just like my father, but I was talented in dancing and singing. Um, and I, and my father and I were both not just artists, but we were both highly intellectual. If we want to be somebody, we will be it. But we are extremely <laughs> silly people. My father and I are extremely silly people. And, um, and we love to have fun and we're we're because of that because of our silliness and because we love to have fun and because we love to party um we also became extremely street smart 
you know, I was very street smart at a very young age. And my, my dad chose a house. We could have lived in Soho because that's where all the artists that had money were living, even though Soho was not like it was like really bad. But my dad could have bought a whole entire building in Soho because of my grandfather. My grandparents, you know, were very wealthy, even in China after the Chinese Civil War in 1949. And so he chose a house in Woodhaven, Queens, <laughs> off the J train, which a lot of people don't know because they always think that Woodhaven is in Elmhurst because it's a Woodhaven Elmhurst stop. But the J train is is the core of Woodhaven, is is where Woodhaven is, off the J and Z train, the Brown Line. And people, you know, growing up didn't know. <laughs> where fucking Woodhaven was because they always thought it was up in Elmhurst and Queen Center Mall. And I said, no, I'm I'm down by the J train on Jamaican Avenue. And they're like, oh, you know, that, you know, because there's no Asians there. And they once you once you hear Jamaica Avenue, you automatically think Jamaica, which it is. I am very close to Jamaica. And back then in Jamaica, it was really bad. It was, you know, it was all black people, all like West Indies. Um, and, you know, crime supposedly was up. I didn't see it. This is the stereotype that, you know, that I was whatever, you know. Um, but it quote unquote bad. And then I was on the other side. It was actually worse because <laughs> quote unquote worse because that's where I'm not joking with it, like Biggie and Jay-Z are from. So I would actually, so before hip-hop even came about, like really popular in, you know, in my area of Queens, I, you know, I, I would say, and this is how ghetto my family is, but I would say, oh, you know where, um, you know who John Gotti is? And they're like, yeah, of course. And, and then I'd be like, okay, well, I live north of John Gotti. Because John Gotti's headquarters was the OZ. I went to junior high school out there, Elizabeth Blackwell 210. And um, the OZ is Ozone Park. And south of Ozone Park is Howard Beach. And then it's the Rockaways. And then it's like Tilden Park Beach. And anyway, um, so it's like white, Italian, <laughs> German, um, black. <laughs> Guyana, we have little Guyana, you know, in Richmond, little, you know, South Richmond Hill. I mean, it's, it, we, we just had a plethora of just like every single middle class racism <laughs> in, in that area. We had Woodhaven was kind of neutral. Um, very white back then, white and Latino working class. Okay. Um. We, we didn't even have, let me just say, it was mostly Dominicans um, and Puerto Ricans, but a lot of Dominicans. Like, in elementary school, I was corrected by Melissa Fanna. And, and I was like, oh, uh, you know, because Joey Vituli, Virtue, oh, God, I forgot his last name, but I'm still, like, um, Facebook friends with him. I reconnected on Facebook. He is in, I think, federal prison right now or something in Florida. He was the nicest kid. He actually stuck up for me when there was racism. Anyway, Joey, Joseph, um, 
uh, you know, he was Puerto Rican. And he might have had a crush on me. Who knows? I'm not sure. But I, I literally, like, I think I was kindergarten classmates with him. But anyway, so Melissa Fanda came in later. And then, and then I was like, I was like, oh, are you Puerto Rican? And then, and, um, and she's like, no, I'm Dominican. <laughs> so I got schooled, like, very early on. Like, there's a difference between Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. And it's just, like, recently that I finally Googled uh, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and like let me just say Dominican Republic is huge it's not connected with (laughs) the United States but it's fucking huge and then Puerto Rico is like so tiny so I kind of understand it but anyway my point is that uh, the the Dominican kings were very were you know getting strength (laughs) in my my hood and um, I didn't know there was a such thing as the Latin kings. I have only heard of the Dominican kings. That's how many Dominicans were living there. And Guyana, Guyanese, or Guyane, um, Anthony Alacoque. Um, he was, he, he's been my classmate. I'm still, you know, Facebook friends. With him. He actually gave me um, a retail job that I was able to transfer in Banana Republic on, my, on, on Park Avenue or Madison Avenue. And then I, w- I, I kept that job um, and I transferred to L.A. And, you know, anyway. So my connection with my neighborhood is so deep. And my father chose that and he didn't have to choose that. He chose that because he loved the house and he loved that it was um, – sandwiched between Forest Park, our Forest Park, and our J and Z train. And it was, and that was the life that I had. That's the only life that I knew growing up. And there was constant racism everywhere, and it was, it was fine. (laughs) It was just a part of New York City. It made me who I was, you know. There wasn't like, oh, this is Asian hate. Like, it wasn't specified. Everybody was hating on everybody. I mean, there in junior high school, we even had chants, you know, you know, because black people, they, they, in, in my junior high school, they were very much like me. I think that's probably why, you know, I got along with them. Like, I had a really close friend. I, I wouldn't say close friend. I would say I had a friend that we saw each other, like, almost on a daily basis. Her name was Akisha. Um, and she, her, her and her her younger sister, a significant years older than I was, um, they would come over to my house. He would, she would use like my, um, my telephone. And at that time I didn't know she was calling Rikers Island to call her boyfriend. <laughs> but this was like in like fifth and sixth grade or something like that. And the only reason why we were even friends, cause she had Akisha, her mom, single mom had just moved to the neighborhood. And she would be walking, like, down past my house all the time. And, um, and yeah, and then one day she just was like, hey, whatever. And her, and her sister, her younger sister was so cute, so nice. So then one day, I'm not joking with you, Akisha being in Keisha, um, she walked into my house and she's like, oh, what do you have in your fridge? Do you have any whipped cream? And I was like, yeah, I think so. So she literally just walks into my house, goes to the kitchen, 
opens up, doesn't ask me anything, by the way, opens up the refrigerator and sees that there's, you know, um, a, a, a can of whipped cream. I'm not joking with you. I, I remember this vividly because I was like shocked and like humored at the same time. And I was like, mm, okay, sure. I'm going to let it go. But I, it was very entertaining to me, honestly. Um, and this is the humor that my father and I have. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why we're, I'm able, and my father is able to live through this torturous, trauma, traumatic situation that him and I have gone through right now. And we're still living it. I go in for two of my indictments uh, this week on the 16th and 17th. Um, I am freaking out a little bit in the sense where um, I don't know what the outcome is. I know how corrupt Taiwanese fucking piece of shit are. But my attorneys are just so relaxed. It's kind of (laughs) weird. And they know, they, they said it to me. They're just, they're just after you. Like at this point, you know, because nothing makes sense. None of these indictments, these prosecutions make sense to them. And the only thing that they know is a fact that, you know, my my family and the Taiwanese government is really just doing this because I'm a disobedient daughter to my entire fucking family, except, of obviously, except for my, my father, which I want to bring back to America, and they're not allowing. But... Akisha, going back to Akisha, she would just walk. She The first day that we kind of became friends, she walked into the house. She asked if I had whipped cream. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I think so. She goes into my kitchen. Because a lot of times we had the door open. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? Cookie. Cookie was our beagle, our, our first dog. Cookie hated Akisha. Cookie hated Akisha. Akisha tried to like kick her, you know, in her face, and my dog ain't gonna have that. But um, and so the only reason why I started, you know, connecting with Akisha was I had to bring in my, you know, my dog, um, Cookie. And <laughs> and you know I was like apologizing. So I guess maybe that's why I kind of felt bad. Um, but I didn't, I, I honestly, no, I didn't, I, I didn't really care. I was just like, you're fucking kicking my dad, my dog, and my dog hate, hated kids. So, like, the only one that, the kid, the only kid that she liked was me. But everybody, like, shorter than I was and younger than I was, like, she would growl at, she would, like, oh, it was hilarious. She would. You know, it was, it was bad. But Akisha, like, she, Akisha was just a bitch. <laughs> She's a bitch. <laughs> She's more of a bitch, but, you know, she was, like, trying to fight a bitch. And, and anyway. <laughs> but Cookie was a real bitch. But anyway, um, so that's how, that's how we, we started to, to even communicate, Akisha and I. But anyway, so she goes in, she, she grabs from the back and, I honestly, I don't even know if it was expired. I don't know if that shit expires, but it was there for a very long time. So she grabs the, the, she reaches in, opens the door, the refrigerator door, grabs the whipped cream from the back. She, 
starts to sp- I've never seen this in my life that's why I, I remember it so clearly she start she tips up her, her her head holding the refrigerator door open literally sprays it without touching anything just sprays a, a dollop of whipped cream in her mouth like a professional like she's she's done this she's done she's gone She's she's gone to other people's houses. She's she's found the whipped cream. And she's and she and and then she and then she says to her to her sister, "Do you want?" She's like, "I forgot her sister's name." Oh my god, and it kind of pisses me off. But she's like, she's like, "Do you want?" Open up your mouth, and she sprays it in her sister's mouth. Um. And then she caps it, and then she puts it in front this time. She doesn't. She doesn't put it in the back in the same place in the back of the refrigerator. She puts it in front. And I'm just like hilariously like, what the fuck is she doing? Like, what is she doing? Anyway. So then she. So then she, um, walks out, and she's like, "I'll see you like tomorrow, whatever." I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and then the next, like, and then slowly she, she'll she do that. And, you know, my mom just won't buy whipped cream anymore. And nobody, I don't even know why my mom bought whipped cream. No, does she, you know what? She used to make, my mom used to make, like, strawberries. And she used to do that. Anyway, for the summertime. So, anyway, so we ran out of whipped cream. Um, and then she would start calling she was like, can I use your phone? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then my mom was like, who the heck is this correctional Rikers Island? Because <laughs> I don't even think my mom knew what a correctional whatever place is. And, and so anyway, so this is like in fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> and Jennifer, Jen, oh my God. She was like scared shit of Akisha. Scared shit. Because Akisha was like the skinny, like, um, slanted eyes. So she, I think she was in a West Indies, but her 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 sister was in slanted eyes. And by the way, um, I have a habit of doing. Um, this is gonna sound weird, but I don't know how else to say it. Because of Akisha's sister, and we, because we would just hang out at my house, all right. Akisha would constantly be doing her sister's hair. And sometimes she would be talking to her boyfriend <laughs> at Rikers Island uh, while doing her hair. And she would like tighten it so tight sometimes that she would, her sister would like, ow, ow. And then she would like, oh, you you would be annoyed. And so she would kind of like hand her, Akisha would hand her little sister off to me to finish up to do her hair. And I would actually have to finish up her do her hair. And because I have been doing my own hair for, you know, for dance and I do my own makeup, you know, since I was small for, you know, my hair and dance. Um, you know, I, it was fun. It was fun doing, you know, Akisha's little sister's hair and her little sister's hair was black just because you know, they're both black. Okay. And so I would be very gentle in the beginning. And then because of the, 
like the braiding and the barrettes and all the different styles. Uh, and because I actually knew how to braid at a very young age because, you know, I was performing very young. Um, you know, when I had gel and I had mousse and I had all this stuff, you know, um, hairspray that, you know, get, got the little ends out. And um, I had very specific brushes too, you know, that I... I'm actually okay with doing, like I'm comfortable with doing, you know, black hair. And it's not necessarily because I like to touch black little girl's hair. Uh, you know, my dance classes, I, I, I make it a very, you know, ever, ever since I started to hear about this black hair thing since uh, uh, Chris Rock's, you know, documentary, like I don't touch little black girl's hair unless, um, you know, I'm in, <laughs> I've been we're in a dance class and I see her Brett come and I said can I fix your hair and I'll ask the little girl but back but I, I will say this back before I knew this was even a problem <laughs> it, you know if a little girl if a little black girl's hair um was like you know kind of unkept because I was teaching dance class or something you know, and because I went, I went all over since I was 15 years old. I went all over New York City to teach, um, to teach Chinese dance. And I, I'm just gonna tell you this now: most of the places that I was teaching, I was teaching the ESL class, what used to be called the ESL class, um, English as a Second Language class. Now it's, e, and then it turned to ELL, and now I don't even know what's called. But all of these Asians, predominantly like Fukunese back then, um, and Chinese, Fukunese, Chinese, they were all in schools that were highly dominated with black and Latino kids. Um, like Roosevelt, Hamilton, um, uh, DeWitt in the Bronx. You know, look, so I was everywhere. I was, I was in places where you would never think Asian Americans would be. And because there was a small group of Asian Americans, and because they were the, you know, bilingual class or whatever, not the bilingual class, the the second, you know, the ESL class or whatever back then, um, you'd be surprised on how, you'd be really surprised on how communities um, come together because we had to put on a show where we had to be I had there were no dancers they weren't trained dancers they didn't dance like I was when I was like two or three years old especially Chinese dance and to get the um, the energy out to a crowd that has never seen a Chinese dance before. That's the key. That was the key. I know growing up in in elementary school as the idyllic Asian American immigrant, because I'm an immigrant. I'm, I was born on this, what has now become this piece of shit island. But when, when it was under the rule of my grandfathers and my father, the Republic of China, um, when I was growing up in Queens, 
I, you know, I was the ideal because I was so proud to be who I was. Proud because I knew my, at a very young age, I knew the history of my family. We were Chinese. There was no doubt about it. Like, we were, we, we are Chinese. We are Chinese and we came to America. Like, we are Chinese Americans. We're not even, I don't even consider myself American Chinese. It's because we are, we, we had the privilege. That's why I call myself a privileged Chinese Queens girl. We had the privilege of being wealthy and the minority rule and the privileged minority in an island where we were not because of the Chinese Civil War. We lost Chinese Civil War to the communists. But even in China, both my grandfathers were very powerful men. And so I grew up with that. And so that led to me always knowing that I am a Chinese American immigrant. I'm an immigrant. Like I went like my my grandparents had taught me and my parents have taught me that I'm a fucking immigrant. <laughs> like I am an immigrant. All right? Um and I saw nothing wrong with that. And and because of my school, because of the teachers and mainly the teachers because the principals, you know, they didn't really know me. Um but mostly the teachers at PS66 in Richmond Hill, they didn't, like, they, they cared that I was Asian American. But when it came down to my talent of, like, performing, you know, um, they didn't give a shit. They didn't give a shit. And, and they, you know, they didn't treat, like, Asians, like, any different. And I was kind of like the token Asian girl throughout the, from K to sixth grade. And so anyway, so my point is that um, when it came to Akisha, and I met Akisha in fifth grade, um, and it came to her sister, it was just a thing that I used to do with her little sister that I brought to wherever I would teach. And because of the fact that I had to teach Asian Americans how to be prideful of our culture in a in in a plethora of black and Latino dominated you know school you know these are like preteens like junior high school and high school I mean how, you know how do you do that and you do that by being prideful of what I teach them because what I teach them is my confidence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they're not going to dance. They're not going to dance professionally. They're not going to do anything really good. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm only there. They, they actually do pay me. They did pay me for like one one or two days. Um, I, I usually give in, you know, as much as time as I can. Um, but, the, but the entire thing, I used, I used to get, you know, like the whole thing was, I used to get just supposed to get paid 50 bucks for an hour. So I was getting paid at 15 in 1992 at 50 bucks for, because nobody was fucking teaching dance around the freaking borough system. You know, everybody just had their own like, you know, enclaves of like dance studios. And they were just so, you know, like Asian, like Chinese, like they were thinking they were all like bougie and shit like that. Like this is Chinese, you know, they were just, they weren't in the mainstream. They, they, they couldn't connect with, anybody else besides our community okay and so 
And so that's that's why I loved Asian American gangsters. But now all my Asian American gangsters have assimilated and they're hiding from their stories. They're slowly coming out. Um, going back to the Staten Island kid, you know, he po- he had a whole page um, of Asian American gangsters and I was telling my gangster story and then he s- saw my gangster story because I hashtag Asian American gangsters or Asian gangsters and we started we started talking and, and now his his page is huge and he has a YouTube uh, he had a YouTube channel before um, now I think he's actually working with the gangsters and they're, he's helping them tell their stories but you know because because he, he he really does um, I, I, I do have to admit on he really does have a love for Asian American gangsters um, Joey or I call him Joey whatever I I'm pretty much sure his name is Joey, but um, but I I I do really appreciate him, um, because without him, I don't know if the Asian American gangsters would want to tell their stories at that point because everybody was so secretive. We're a very secretive community, Asian Americans in general, and I hate it when people say, when they, when when we say, oh, we've been invisible. Yes, because you decided to be invisible, not because because you can't tell your story half ass. People will know. That's why I love hip-hop. Okay? But my point about the hair and my background and this whole entire thing that has to connect with hip-hop is because we don't know what the person has gone through unless you start to tell your stories. Truthfully. Because when you want to just half-ass your stories, like you're either your victim or either you're just so good or either you, you know, you're, you're a sacrificial mom and then you sacrifice, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's enough. I'm done with the Asian American sacrificial Asian hate shit. It's enough. Shut the fuck up and tell your fucking real story. Tell your story how, how you fucking failed. How your personality is so fucking dry. How your family always is like family first, but it's really odd to only see family first when you are of value to them. And that's what hip-hop did for me. Because it made me have courage to tell the truth about my community. It made me have the courage to artistically tell the truth about my Asian American community. And what's happening to my father and I is absolutely no surprise. It should be no fucking surprise. And it's not fucking drama. It's trauma. And that's what black people have gone through throughout so many years of when America started to develop. So hip-hop saved me. It saved me. Because you can tell your truth. And you can have everybody smacking down on it. And still 
influenced the entire fucking world to what it has become now. There is not one industry. I don't give a fucking crap if it's law. I don't care if it's Hollywood. I don't care if it's medicine. I don't care if it's real estate. I don't fucking care if it's classical ballet. Classical music. I don't care if it's Harvard, MIT, Caltech, Stanford, UC Berkeley. I don't give a fuck. There's not one ounce. Not one. I don't care if you're a cartel from South America. I don't. I don't give a fuck if you were in boarding school at West Point. I don't give a fuck if you were in bougie, like, I don't know, Switzerland or some shit. I don't care. I don't care if you were in fucking Russia. I don't give a fuck. Just like punk music and rock music, hip-hop, has affected everywhere in this fucking world. And it came from a party that I didn't know, but Chuck Schumer said that it was because of a party because they were doing school supplies. They were trying to gain Uh, Funding for school supplies for the upcoming fall school semester. So hip-hop derived from a need to fundraise. And that turned, that fundraising turned into a fucking party. And that party turned into you know, I don't know, everything from politics to religion to um, culture to fashion to obviously, you know, dance and, you know, I mean, the essence of it obviously is music. But it's, hip-hop to me like is what I thrive to be because when the whole world is against you I think of all these stories and I look at all these people and and I you know I get the courage to fight Like I see myself in so many of these black and black men and women. You know, I see myself like in so many of these artists, especially their stories. 
and I, 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 I never saw myself. I, I'll tell you the truth. I've never saw myself in any, anything that's out there right now, especially out there right now. Even, I mean, I love, you know, Margaret Cho and I never, but I never saw myself in her. I never saw myself represented just because, you know, she's Asian looking. Like I never saw myself in her. And so I never cared to have representation. That wasn't important to me. What was important to me was the connection. You know, the connection of the story. And I found myself seeing more, you know, like me with connected with more black, honestly male-dominated artists. Not so much women just because of the fact that I didn't really care about looking sexy I didn't care about um I didn't really care about like you know heartbreak even though I was you know what I'm saying like I did I didn't really care about the stuff that they were I did care about like I gravitated a lot more towards like little Kim and when Miss Ellie Elliot Missy came out I was you know I loved I loved absolutely loved Mary J Blige but um, and I love, and I didn't really know, you, you know, um, MC Light. They weren't, that wasn't really mainstream on the radio and it wasn't playing at the clubs. As, you know, there are, you know, especially like, um, you know, uh, what, what is that? Roxanne, Shantae. So I didn't, you know, now like, oh, I, you know, I hear that song. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. And then. Now I I I you know I hear their stories you know, um, but I did like you know Remy Ma and Foxy Brown and you know um, Eve um, Ashante and but they but I didn't their songs weren't as as meaningful as. you know, like Nas, New York State of Mind, because, you know, because I was hanging out with, you know, gangsters, right? And I saw that. I saw the that feeling that, you know, that he had, you know, when you, when you just, when you just have the feeling, even though the words aren't as parallel, but you have that feeling Of what the music represents. You know. And the only reason why. It wasn't. I wasn't. To, like. My favorite song back then from Mary J. Blige. Honestly was. What's the 401. Until this day. Like I can't rap. <laughs> Yo what's the. But I always try. Yo what's the 401. Son. It was the 401. All my love is all I have. Right. Um. But I still can't, like, rap the part that, you know, Mary J. Blige does. Like, I'm terrible at rapping. Um, but I love it. I love, I love I love to rap, but I just, it just doesn't come out very well. Um, but that, that I was understood, because there are a lot of guys that was, like, courting me and, you know, like, crushing on me. And, you know, it was just like, 
you know, some of the guys were, you know, I know it's, it's always like the guy that I like that just doesn't like me, right? So, <laughs> and then it was like a bunch of these guys back then, you know, like, you know, coming after me. And it was just like, how do you choose? And then, you know, you know what's the form? Like, I totally got that. And that was like kind of like what I loved, right? But I wasn't a dominant alpha gangster girl. And that was kind of like what little Kim represented. Um, and I wasn't like the, the prettiest, like, you know, so Faith Evans, you know, because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, th that was another group of girls that I wasn't a part of. Like, I didn't have a girl crew. I've never, I tried, but it just doesn't work with me. My personality is just too, I think, like, selfish a little bit, because I'm the youngest too. But, um... It doesn't have to be all about me, but I do get a lot of attention. Like, you have to be, you have to, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, my personality itself gets a lot of attention. I'm an extreme extrovert. I'm I'm not a scare. Like, I'm a friend whore. I'll be anybody's friend, you know. I don't really care if anybody backstabs me or anything like that. Um, and that's that's definitely because of my family. That's, that's definitely because <laughs> my dad and yeah, yeah, both... You know, they, they loved me unconditionally and the rest of the family did. So I really just didn't care. And I never really got approval from my, from my mom even now. Um, so I honestly just gave up, you know. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even angry. People think I'm angry. Like, I'm angry at certain moments, but I'm not even angry at my, my mom for, and I'm not angry at my family for doing all this. But I'll call them out. I'll call them out. Um, and that's what they hate. And that's why I have 11 criminal counts and um, criminal charges and two indictments that are coming up. But hip-hop really, what, what, what hip-hop really did for me really was um, it gave me the courage. It's, and and, and hip-hop and black people gave me the courage to be who I am today. You know, my... My yeah yeah and grandfather and Jen and her entire family, they they gave me acceptance, unconditional love, which is extremely important. But it's my black friends like Akisha and Janae, you know. And they're very little, but because of that, and and um, oh my god, what's her name? Oh my gosh, she was hilarious. She has like these huge boobs. And she, oh my God, what the heck was her name? I love her so much. Anyway, so she was in my homeroom. She had these huge boobs and she liked Mustafa and Mustafa didn't really like her. Um, and Mustafa was like, I'm not joking, like almost a head shorter than her up to her boobs. Like her, his eyes was like up to her boobs and they would hang out all the time. And she was, and anyway, because Mustafa always felt comfortable talking to me maybe she, he liked me or whatever she uh, I forgot I think her name was e Eugenia or something like that anyway it was a very like interesting name for it wasn't your stereotypical black name okay like Akisha and Janae like I told but her I think it was a very and I, I, I think that's why I kind of forgot because but anyway but we, we didn't know each other like that we weren't like super friends but you know she was nice to me and everything like that anyway my point is that 
it was it's life circumstances that had put me into certain situations and certain personalities gave me the courage to be who I am you know I'm not scared to say um what you know how or how how I feel about certain people certain groups of people and the only reason why I'm saying this kind of like politically correct right now is because I don't know how to say it without feeling, uh, without sounding that I'm like racist. But we, back in the days, we were so like racist to each other that we kind of normalized it. And I know a lot of people don't want to normalize it, racism, because obviously people have, you know, Asians have died, black people, obviously. But there's a part when there's a community that if you keep on constantly fighting back and you don't let anybody like down, like we had a chant in junior high school that Janae and her, because they were part of her, she, Janae was the leader of the girls stomp team, the angels, um, Stop looking, listen, we're the mighty angels. Stop looking, listen, we're the mighty angels. Stop. We're the mighty angels. Look. We're the mighty angels. Listen. We're the mighty angels. Stop looking, listen, we're the mighty angels. Stop. Anyway. And then her boyfriend was the head stomp team for the centipedes. Okay. And so... And so there used to be a chant in our junior high school, the same junior high school that Nicki Minaj went to, the same junior high school Nicki Minaj said it was like super scary, but I like I never thought that it was scary. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't. And we're only like two years or three years apart or something like that. So it wasn't it didn't it wasn't like the time when it changed dramatically. Um, and I'm older than Nicki Minaj, but anyway. But we, they used to have a chant that says, fight, fight, black and white. If the blacks don't win, we all jump in. And then they'd be like, fight, fight, Boliquas and the, and the whites. If, we, if the Boliquas don't win, we all jump in. So everybody was kind of against the white people. But they're, they're, you know who was really fighting everybody? It was actually the Boliquas. <laughs> they were fighting black black people and then they were fighting like the white people they were fighting everybody and they were like the most racist to asians like to me so it was actually it wasn't the black or the white they were <laughs> it was actually the bully class <laughs> anyways um and jen you know like she she fought she fought and won in the beginning and then and then the girl just blindsided her, grabbed her hair from the back, and um, Darlene helped her out. I was there just shocked because, you know, I'm kind of like a coward when it comes down to physical fights. But when it comes down to, like, verbal fights, I'm totally for it. Um, and then her mom saw her, was like, what the fuck happened to you? And uh, she told her mom, and I'm not joking with you, the next day her sisters um with their boyfriends in a convertible, two cars, one convertible, um, literally with baseball bats, came down to the school. 
and they're Italian. They're like white Italian. The mom is like, the mom, um, Mrs. Parkinson was like very much connected. Her, her, bro- her brother, Uncle Carlo, um, was pretty much connected. Like it wasn't confirmed, but they're pretty much connected to the Italian mob. And the father was NYPD, like, like chief of police. Um, so that is one untouchable white family <laughs> on both sides. So, anyways, um, so yeah, so so she confronted the girl, and she was like, "Next time you touch." My fucking, you know, my sister. And Jen was like in the back, like, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, next time you touch my sister, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'll kick your ass or some shit like that. And, um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was so racist. But it was, it was because we fought back. And let me just say this. We had an ESL group in, in, you know, my junior high school. And, and, um, there was this one kid that was like really cute. Um, and we, we looked at each other, but I, you know, I was, even though I'm like an immigrant, you know, it was, there, there was a difference between the FOBs and the ABCs. I'm not an ABC, but the, you know, I, you know, like if you back in the days, if you weren't, if you didn't know that I was, I, that I was an immigrant, um, you would think of me as an ABC. I have very ABC tendencies and stuff like that. But anyway, um, which is American-born Chinese, by the way, um, but I wasn't born here. But the FOBs are fresh off the boat, which was the guys and the you know the guys and girls in the ESL group. So let me just say this to you: because my elementary, I'm not I'm not elementary, my junior high school was like literally like people were bussing in from the Rockaways and Jamaica and all over the place, even from Brooklyn, I think. Because it was, it, it was a school of like 1,200, no joke. And it was just two grades, seventh grade and eighth grade. It was, it was, it was, it was scary, I guess, to certain people. But I think it's because Asians were so neutralized. We, they got bullied, but don't get me wrong. We all did. But if we fought back and stood our ground, they had mad respect for us. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have respect for people that you fight with. Because if you just run away and then you just start to, like, institutionalize or systematize, whatever, that's not a word. But, you know, systematically, you know, put your anger, suppressed anger into your work, your job, your, your, your household. Like, that's even scarier. The blatant racism, which I... I... I actually appreciate blatant racism. That's why I don't, I don't hate on fucking like Trump supporters and you know my MAGA. You know what I'm saying? But you, if you wanna, I'm gonna fucking be proud of fucking Biden and Harris. I don't give a fuck what they do. I'm gonna be fucking proud, just like you are of fucking Trump and DeSantis. I mean, whatever his name is. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you know what I'm saying? They, they. The, the ones that are really in for the fight, we're still, I'm still connected with them, Facebook friends. And that's what hip-hop represents for me, is, is that they kept on fighting and telling the truth and, and, and doing, they did it so many different ways. They did it with love. They did it with community. They did it with anger. They did it with, you know, y- you know, um, protesting, you know. They did it with, 
the fact that they just told their truth, individual truth. And that's not a part of the Asian American community at all. At all. We don't tell the fucking truth. We don't tell the ugly truth of it. Like, I love Boys in the Hood. Why? Because it was a focus on the black community within the black community. The one police officer that was really putting down and almost pretty much killing these black men, boys, teenagers, was a black cop. And it was a very black cop. He was a blackity black cop. He was dark black cop. You know what I'm saying? It was, it, 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 it's about their community. That's the real, that's the truth. Yeah, sure. You know, you had Lawrence Fisberg, which, by the way, gave me his number. Um, very nice guy. Anyway, uh, he, it was actually during the time. I looked it up. It was during time when he was divorced. But, um, yeah, he, he, you had another black man that was schooling and really protecting his son and teaching him historical context of the truth of why the black communities became this way and yeah of course they were they were the victims of being enslaved and and you know like whatever you know doing all of these redlining shit and you know doing everything possible to try to you know put their community down with drugs and alcohol and but at no time did I felt that he saw himself even though he was the victim he saw himself and he was teaching that he was teaching his kids that they were the victims what I fucking hate about Asian Americans at this time is that we keep on fucking saying we're victims so do something about it so fucking fight back shut the fuck up shut the fuck up about the fact that we are victims and fight back. Unite and fight back. That's why I have this Instagram called Unite and Fight Back. You have to unite and fight back. I'm sick and tired of these fucking immigrant stories. I'm sick and tired of how Asian women keep on trying now. You're, you're trying so hard to say that your fucking bitchy-ass attitude that was the reason why Asian men, little penises, were the fucking stereotype for so many years. Since I was alive, since because since I was alive, I've heard so many times, my friends, and even now, they're saying shit like, I'm just not that age into Asian men. Like, nobody fucking asked you, bitch. Like, no other ethnicity has ever said that about their own fucking men. As horrific as the white man has been, as horrific as as the Latino man has been, as horrific as the black man has been running away, right? White men molesting 
Latino men just cheating constantly. And all men secretly being fucking pedophiles of boys and girls. I have never heard of any white woman, any black woman, any Latino, not even Muslim. And Muslim, especially Middle Eastern, we know how much power they have over women in general and how horrific they are and inhumane they are to women. And yet Muslims, I don't even care if you're Indonesian. I don't care if you're from Iraq, Iranian. I don't even care what Muslim you are. I have never heard a Muslim woman ever fucking say to their men, I don't, I just don't date Asian men. I've never heard of any white women have ever said, I just don't date white men. I have never heard of any black woman has ever said, I just don't date black men. Or Latino woman. I've never heard a Latino woman say, I just not that interested in Latino men. Now, you can like white men. You could be obsessed with black men. You could be loving on, you know, Latino men. I don't give a fuck. But I have never heard, except for Asian women, especially Asian American women, say, I'm just not that into Asian men. Fuck you. I don't give a fuck. Why do you have to say that? Why do you have to put salt on a wound? Huh? I don't give a fuck what you like. And guess what? You're not even Asian men's type. You're not Asian men's type. You know what Asian men love? Me. They do. <laughs> I have a softer Asian look. And you know what? I also, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm a type of many Asian, uh, non-Asian. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a type of every fucking honestly dude out there I've been hit by on every fucking type of dude black white Latino it's because I'm not intimidating I don't I don't look intimidating I look like a like a little Asian girl that would be like you know like 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 them you know they're very they they're they, you know they they I don't know I, I don't know like they they think I'm I'm one way you know they you know they they think I'm one way but I'm not and then when they when they when they realize how strong I am as, as a woman, not even an Asian woman, like stronger women that they probably have never fucking heard of before. Um, and I do it in a, and I do it in a respectful way, in a classy way. And they respect that because I fight back in a, in a respectful way because I know how I look. I know how I look. I'm a very, I'm a very short girl. I have a, I have, if I want to work out, I have a very hourglass figure. So I'm not like skinny boy you know, or, you know, skinny girl, super skinny girl with no boobs and no ass. And so I, now I don't have an ass. It's just flat and I'm, I'm too exhausted to even work my ass out to get a perky again. Um, my boobs are sagging and I have never had kids before. Anyway, my point is <laughs> that, yeah, I, I am a very typical girl that's like, Every, everybody from celebrities to uh, wealthy men 
to, you know, just your everyday, like, police officer or not everyday police officer, but police officers have, you know, um, plumbers, have, you know, electrician, um, security guard, you know, um, like, they've all have, like, you know, asked me out or asked me for my number and, you know, and, I, and honestly, I'm flattered because, because they think they have, like, you know, like, they... <laughs> I literally tell them, like, you don't want to have anything to do with me because they can't, nobody, nobody can see, like, where I'm really from, from. And I'm, and I'm from an extremely powerful um, Chinese dom- men-dominated, um, loving and caring a family. I, 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 I come from Chinese men and they've never seen this before. Nobody has ever felt this before. Not even Asian girls that I've known, you know, um, have they have they lived my life. And that's why I know that I have to tell my story because of the fact that I, the confidence that I have as an Asian American girl is unmatched. And I know that because I have, you know, spoken to women that are politicians and, you know, CEOs and lawyers and doctors. And um, I just know by the personalities that they have nothing against me. They have nothing. Like, without their career and their money and their face value, nobody would like them. Because <laughs> they're not fun. They're not fun people. And I'm really fucking fun. And I don't take any drugs. And I don't drink. And it's a choice. And I know how to have fun. I know how to have fun. Be silly. And then come down and talk about serious topics. And want to talk about serious topics. And want to converse about what is going on with the world. And that, I know for a fact... From presidents to billionaires, millionaires. That's intimidating. That's intimidating. That I can have fun. Not care about what they have. Not care about what they look like. Not care about anything besides the fact that you're, whether or not you're you know, a, a good, fun, deep-rooted, intelligent person that can connect with the entire world if they want to. And I know that's powerful. And I've done that before. I've spoken to governors in China and mayors in China, sat next to them. They place me next to people in high political positions because they want to make sure that the younger generation is coming in strong knowing that we were all Chinese doesn't matter if you're in America they didn't give a shit about that they didn't give a fucking shit about the fact that I was born in fucking under the Republic of China in Taiwan and Taiwanese are taking over they didn't give a fucking shit about that they focused on me and being Chinese and what they're doing that's power That's the power. 
That's the power that my father had to put me in that position. That's the power that my grandfather had to give me the confidence, raise me and have, raising me to have the confidence to go into a country that we know we're really from and not give a shit about the fact that we're American. But what is American to me is that I choose to be proud of my American part, of my American heritage. I know I wouldn't be able to have this confidence as a female, as a woman, if I was in, raised in China. I know it. And definitely not fucking raised here on this piece of shit island that the Taiwanese took over recently. So hip-hop has always been that for me. Black people have always been that for me. They do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, Akeisha literally came in. I'm not saying Akeisha's hip-hop you know, or anything, although she was listening to hip-hop. But when I, my point is that she came into my house and was kind of rude, and she did whatever she wanted to do, and, she, and we became friends. Because I let her. I let her do that. I wasn't saying, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, you know, and I, I wasn't afraid of her. Jenna was afraid of her. I wasn't afraid of her. I chose. I chose to let her go in. I chose to let her, you know, take my fucking whipped cream and fucking, you know, whatever. I chose for her to, like, you know, talk to her boyfriend, not knowing that, you know, we had to pay for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I chose to... To when she gave her sister off for me, I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do her hair. I was like, hey, let me, yeah, sure, let me figure out how. To, and I didn't think like, oh, okay, my hair is like this and your hair is like that. I was just like, how do I get this hair into this style that I want? That's it. That's it. And when you know, black people that don't know me, they start, you know, oh yeah, my, I wanted to finish the story about me going into these. So a lot of times, the black girls would be really, really curious about what we're doing. You know, um, when when I would when and I would say I'm teaching I'm teaching them Chinese dance for your multi whatever cultural festival that's coming up, and they they're like, oh cool, can we watch? Okay, and what I had to do with the hair was that it was the, at the end of the day, so they would be doing their hair. So then during the performance, I had to teach my students, my girls, how to do their own hair. And Asian girls don't know how to do their own hair. So they had helped. They, came, they said, hey, you want, you want braids in your hair? Okay. So they actually helped do my students, their classmates' hair for the performance. And then I said, hey, do you, I know how to braid. I was teaching them how to braid. And the conversation started to happen like that. So I would end up doing some of their hair. So we had a little train of hair. It was fun, okay? It was fun. It was fun. I don't know if they still do it now in schools, but we used to have little trains of like, you do my hair, I do your hair. You do my hair, I do. And it was just for fun. It was all for fun. You know? 
But I could, they, my students didn't know how to do anybody's hair, nonetheless to say their own hair. So it was like the black girls were just, you know, helping my Asian students. And there were different, you know, Chinese, Vietnamese, you know, Asian American students. And then some of the black girls, you know, their hair was messy because it was the end of the day. And then I was like, hey, you want me to do your hair? And they're like, yeah, sure. And so we were literally just having fun doing hair. And guess what? During the time of the performance, these black girls were rooting on and the performance was great. And when you root, and that's the energy of the performer, it is synergy that comes in from the audience to the performer. That's what makes the performers so fucking intense. Everybody loves Beyonce and, and you know, Taylor Swift. That's what it was. It was both sides. It's not just one side. If the performer just does a great job and then there's no connection to the audience, that's why hip-hop is so insanely historical and so profound, to me at least, is because they found a way. They found a way for everybody, from for everybody that thought. I mean, all Asians thought back then because all of them were so, like, besides, even, even the Asian-American gangsters, even though we were so ghetto and shit like that, and we were proud to be ghetto and anything like that, I'm eating cucumber now. All of my, most of my <laughs> Asian American gangster friends that were, you know, in the community and whatever, or they were gangsters themselves, gangsters themselves, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them, majority of them, okay, they don't want to fucking tell their stories because they're ashamed. And a lot of them, I don't know now, but when I started talking about them because I wanted them to be on my podcast, they didn't want to or whatever, they thought I was a rat. They hadn't even, in 2017, they hadn't even told their, their kids who they really are, how ghetto they fucking are, if they were Asian American gangs. But now after this, I, I hope y'all telling them. I, I really hope you guys are telling your stories to your kids because that's what's lacking. The, the street, the street, the street power we had during the rise of hip-hop. Punk was leaving. Rock was leaving. Hip-hop was becoming the it thing. And so Asian American gangsters were leaving with the punk and and the rock stage. And they were assimilating to the white culture. Now they're assimilating to... Oh, my printer. Um... Now they're assimilating to the uh, black culture because that's a dominant culture. But the black culture is a dominant culture because of hip-hop. And they're telling the truth. So I'm really, really hoping you guys are telling the truth. Tell your truth, people. If you love to wear... The clothes right now, because there's there is not one <laughs> designer out there that does not have a reflection of the hip hop style. I don't I don't give a fuck where you are and and um, from your shoes to your um, bags to <laughs> to your hat to your shirt to your you know dresses to your um, shorts your jeans. I don't give a fuck where you are. That's from hip-hop culture, you know. Um, So, I hope, you know, 
hip hop really truthfully influences you to do what they've done is that to tell your story and tell the truth about your story and the truth is ugly and the truth is beautiful and the truth is funny and the truth is silly and the truth is disgusting and the truth is inhumane and that's what hip hop has done for me so happy birthday hip hop happy 50th birthday we love you and you saved me you saved me even now you saved me and I hope I hope when I'm back that I get to work with you that is my goal is to tell my stories through your music and your and your truths too because I can't do this entire industry by myself <laughs> there's I can't I can't I can't I can't do it stylistically artistically by myself and I need people to to help me creatively in in the sense where um, we need to push this out and I prefer pushing it out through the hip-hop community than honestly the white community because um, I know you all have money now so you know you could invest in a privileged Chinese American Asian girl a Queens girl um, and I'm writing you in your my scripts so the, your the music the music I'm taking I'm using your music to tell help tell my story actually to tell my story not to even help but to tell my story okay um, this is a long podcast, but happy birthday, hip-hop. Happy 50th birthday. Um, we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, Daddy, we're going home! I don't know how. Dead or alive, perfectly alive, but we're going home. I'm going to go home first. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to become rich and famous. And uh, I'm going to bring you back. And we're going to have a big white party. Yes, the black community, you know how they have that white, you know, like parties. We're going to have a big white party where everybody is dressed in white for my dad. Everybody. It's going to be a celebration of my dad. I'm already thinking about it. Um, and it's going to be in Chinatown. I'm going to invite everybody. Everybody. I'm going to invite fucking everybody. Anybody that wants to come and celebrate um, my father is, is allowed. Anyways... Um, love you hip hop you really did you saved me and you still are saving me now happy 50th birthday hip hop peace out